Hey everyone, um, welcome to Faith and Capital. So this is going to be a short episode. Uh, I just wanted to do it in, in part to celebrate uh, two years of doing the Faith and Capital podcast, and then also as a way of kind of practicing uh, self-criticism, all right? So I hope this episode will kind of um, demonstrate the importance and necessity of self-criticism, because I think in a lot of ways, this podcast has failed, right? It has been sorely inadequate, and and I think that actually can be extended to all of our projects, all of our communities, organizations, our thinking, um, and, but there's also been some good things as well. So that's kind of like what I, I want to do. I want to just have a reflection on the first two years of Faith and Capital, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to name my original goals um, some initial assumptions I remember having, I think some, just a few of the successes I think Faith and Capital has participated in. Um, and then I want to spend a good deal talking about the failures and shortcomings of my own thinking and of this podcast. And then at the very end, I want to wrap up with stating some new goals. And, and I think this process is really important, not just for anyone who's kind of committed to ruthlessly critiquing this world and actually struggling for socialism. But it's also really fundamental for our organizations and our communities that we participate in, um, whether they be distinctively religious or not. So whether you're in a tenant union or whether you're in a church or whether you're um, uh, working uh, in an abolitionist group or a mutual aid group, right? Um, all these things are, these are spaces and communities and organizations which we should continually be dialectically reflecting on past failures, our current failures, right? Um, the goals and assumptions we have, uh, critiquing them, seeing kind of like what we did right, and then and learning from those successes, and then also um, what went wrong, or what, what did, what assumptions did we have that were actually wrong? And coming to new insights, making uh, new goals, and kind of readjusting our strategy and also particular tactics. So anyways, yeah, that's what I kind of want to do about with the first two years of Faith and Capital. Um, prior to all of this getting launched, uh, I had just finished up my master's degree uh, of a master's of divinity and a master's of theological studies at Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis, Indiana. And so I wrote a thesis arguing that the prison and policing patterns, which are interlocked with capitalism and white supremacy, uh, it all kind of works to destroy the beloved community, right? That was, uh, that was the, the thesis. And so the bulk of the paper was me trying to show how policing and imprisonment trends were related to white supremacy and capitalism. But through the process of my researching and writing, I realized I didn't know shit about capitalism, right? I, I really couldn't even tell you what it was. So, of course, when I immediately dove into Marxism... Uh, specifically, I was blown away and decided to create a podcast inviting working class Christians to think about the sins of capitalism and really just how fucked up it is. And so two months later, I started Faith and Capital at the beginning of March 2019. And some of my original goals were um, I wanted to create an accessible Christian socialist kind of medium for, for a popular audience. Um, I think that was that was one thing I wanted to you know I was thinking well I, it needs to be accessible and um, I also wanted part of that was was I wanted to convince Christians right to con to become socialist or communist 
Uh, I think that was, was some of the main goals I had. How can I help folks connect their Christianity, their, their spirituality, their, their religious practice to understanding how evil and destructive capitalism is and then actually imagining and starting to participate in struggles against capitalism? And some of the assumptions I had um, was that if Christians could hear something like this, right, this kind of project, they would change their minds and become socialist. You know, if we, if we just articulated it clearly and simply enough, right, if we helped Christians think about socialism using scripture or theology in our, in our traditions, then its accessibility and just the overwhelming democratic and liberative message would be widely received. Um, that was one assumption I had. Another assumption I had was that revolutionary analysis was simply too complicated for the masses, um, or at least that's how it's been produced. And while I'm going to critique, you know, myself later, I, I, I do want to say like that's simply not the case, right? Academic jargon written for academics is too complicated, right? That's what's too complicated. But all that we need to study and the people's movements we need to learn from are very straightforward and accessible. The stuff being written that could not be understood in a group reading or discussion isn't radical or revolutionary. It's knowledge production that serves the interests of the ruling class, right? Even if it inaccessibly critiques the ruling class. Um, but but that was another uh, assumption I had that that we need to articulate things in a way that's that's not too complicated because people can't understand that. So yeah, those were some of the big assumptions I had. And then I, I, now I want to name some of the successes that I think Faith and Capital has participated in. One of its successes is that, you know, uh, this podcast is one of several Christian, communist, and socialist mediums right now. From the Magnificast podcast to Damon Garcia's YouTube videos to the Church in the Hour and G's Magazine publications and the Institute for Christian Socialism. There's lots more Christian socialist stuff being produced today than there was four years ago. Um, or even two years ago when this podcast started, which I think is really, really helpful and important. And so Faith and Capital, I think, has participated in this collective work of, of connecting with folks and inviting Christians to rethink their faith and theology, as well as to start studying, thinking, and practicing socialism. Um, personally, some of my favorite episodes... I would say uh, the Wretched of the Earth series, the Advent series we just did at the end of 2020, um, the Holy Week series, and the episode probably about the pigs are some of my favorite monologues. And I simply cannot pick favorite interviews because I think there's just been so many absolutely wonderful, brilliant people who have come on and shared just their genuine uh, faith in their spirituality, but also their, their really important wisdom. And uh, so, yeah, I can't pick <laughs> favorite interviews. I would just say I would go through all of those because they've been wonderful. Really, really helpful, at least for me personally. I found them to be really helpful. Um, and so, yeah, some failures and shortcomings. I actually created a very, very long list and I could have kept on going, but I tried to condense it. Um, and this is probably the most important part for me because I'm always trying to think about, okay, what have, what have I believed in the past? What have I actually been doing, right? Um, what, what kind of life have I been practicing in the past? Um, what, what are some successes? What are some good things that have come from it? Where have, where have I been right? And then where have I been wrong? And I love this process of continually kind of self-critiquing and also 
hearing and listening to and asking for the critiques of other people because I think that's how we better not ourselves individually although I think that's really important but also collectively and communally um, how can we win in a world of socialism how can we destroy capitalism and white supremacy and heteropatriarchy and colonialism right um, we we have to ruthlessly critique um, this world and and lovingly um, be willing to to hear and receive critiques from others um, and also be critiquing ourselves. So yeah, that's that's what I want to do here. Um, a lot of the failures I think are connected to some of my early assumptions and then therefore the overall strategy and particular tactics of this podcast. So one of the, the things that popped in my mind was I wanted folks to think theologically, right, about the sins of capitalism. And what I was doing was I was hinting at some alternative, some, you know, vague and generic alternative or a quote-unquote better world, right? Um, I'm sure you, you've heard that language in earlier episodes. Rather than clearly articulating why I believe communists struggle through socialism and then toward communism is the best chance we have, not just for survival as a species, right, uh, which is a bare minimum, but also for thriving and 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 our fundamental remaking of how we relate to one another in the planet, right? Our remaking what it means to be materially fashioned in the image of God, and so I think that's one of the failures um, of this podcast, uh, especially earlier on. Was I was talking about you know an alternative or a better world rather than saying no? I think socialism is what we have to do um, in the to to crush capitalism. Um, that's, that's its first alternative. And then after socialism, we can start to pursue something beyond socialism, which I would say communism. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, one of my failures because the, one of the, the shortcomings of just talking about an alternative or better world is that I think that's really coming from a tradition of anti-communism, um, a, a tradition even of anti, you know, e even less than that, anti-socialism, right? Let's just have some kind of vague, we don't have a strategy, we don't have a plan, we don't really have an alternative. We just know that this sucks and we're not willing to name that this specifically has to happen or we lose or the planet and the our entire species is destroyed. So I think that's that's one of the big failures of the podcast, thus, um, especially earlier on. Another failure and shortcoming was that I think it's some wrong thinking, some seriously wrong thinking, especially kind of coming from my being in liberal circles and for a, you know a, a longer period of my life after my evangelical fundamentalism was was this wrong thinking that content production is what could change the church, right? Just just a production of different or counter ideas. I remember studying dialectical materialism for my conversation with Olivia Sunnell on process and dialectical materialism. And when I applied it um, to efforts of transforming the church, right? Because that's kind of part of like what I was trying, what I, what I wanted us to do with this, um, with doing this podcast. I realized how embedded my own idealism was, which led me to believe that content creation could be a driving force for transforming the church. And and I started to see that, you know, not only was had I believed that, but I think that's still popularly, even among, you know, a lot of our our even Christian socialist circles, there's an idea that if we just produce the right ideas, 
if we just kind of make it accessible or if we um, start critiquing it publicly, then people will catch on, see how wonderful socialism and communism could be, and then, you know, we'll all just kind of happily move that direction. But I don't think that ideas are the primary way, uh, the primary reason that we are in this particular world. So I think that's also a huge failure um, of some of my early assumptions, which definitely has influenced some of the episodes that I produced. Um, a third shortcoming, I think, was just my overall early on social democratic and democratic socialism. Um, Marxist analysis is often taken, but the Marxist political struggle is often rejected, all right? Maybe, maybe you can see this a little bit. There are some folks who, we like Marxist analysis of capitalism, but but there's some fundamental rejections of actually participating in Marxist political struggle. Uh, we, we opt for reformism rather than trying to build for revolution. <laughs> um, we, we opt for, I don't know, even like nonprofit stuff or electoralism rather than saying actually um, the political and historical struggles that have come from studying the Marxist tradition and applying it materially to different contexts has actually, that's the important stuff, right? Not just to say, wow, capitalism's fucked up and this is why we're so alienated and lonely and this is what it does to our relationships. Um, and I think that actually was deeply embedded in my own early studying as well. I believed that socialism could kind of also one day be realized if we just prioritized worker cooperatives or housing cooperatives or the union movement. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, if we just built a big enough base, right, th uh, through unions and cooperatives, regardless of whether the unions themselves were led by revolutionaries or not, then the people would be ready to seize the state at some day, simply because socialism clearly... Uh, would be better than capitalism. You know, for now, we just study and analyze capitalism and participate in reformist movements that explicitly have end goals of reform. And so so that's that's a huge, I think, failure on my part was was this was this kind of it didn't matter really how people thought about socialism or what communism meant to them. It's if you just identified as socialist, if you just started thinking about, you know, communism, well, then that's great. We don't really need a, a specific and, and clear strategy. And we definitely hadn't learned anything from the past, um, from former uh, historical struggles. Uh, we can all we can all just kind of do our own thing, our own socialism, and we'll just kind of gradually get there eventually. Um, and I think that was really, really flawed. Yeah. So a fourth flaw and failure, I would say, of the podcast has been, and it's, and it's deeply kind of connected to this third one, but um, I've heard the language of communism without communism. And I, and I think that, especially earlier on, I was being raised in a kind of communist revisionism. Um, what I was doing was I was studying the self-identifying communist academics who were writing from the centers of capitalism and imperialism, who currently want us to think about communism or talk about communism right, Marxism, and, and dream about a far and distant horizon or future of communism or even socialism without trying to actually make communist revolution now, right? So Richard Wolff, David Harvey, Slavoj Žižek, um, they, they, 
there's this tendency among these academics to reject you know, real material revolutions, the lessons won, and, and the hard-won truths hammered out through these historical people's struggles. And I think it's becoming fashionable, actually, to self-individually identify as a communist theory. As long as you reject the 20th century revolutionary struggles and believe that they were primarily failures and wrong-headed, right? So there's this, you know, wanting to rethink communism without the actual revolutionary struggles. And you can have a book deal and keep your position in the academy, right? Um, but suggest that there were both successes and failures of past revolutions and that we must continue to learn from and build upon those lessons learned, um, and you can basically kiss your individual financial security and status among the left goodbye. Um, I, but for me, I realized recently, I, I read this book called The Communist Necessity by Mufawad Paul, and it really did help me reveal my own opportunism, but also my revisionism that I had kind of been raised in since I first started, started studying Marxism. And again, I was, I was reading, and most of my, my studying and my kind of praxis was coming from these intellectuals and the academics who are writing uh, from the centers of capitalism and imperialism. So that was really helpful for me, I think. Um, but also, again, this, that was a, a major shortcoming and failure, I think, of this podcast and of my own thinking thus far. Uh, a fifth one and final one, I just wanted to keep it at five, was that when I first started doing this podcast, I believe that capitalism and white supremacy and heteropatriarchy were inseparable. But as a settler who materially benefits from settler colonialism and uh, U.S. imperialism, I really had no idea the level to which the U.S. is a settler colonial state, right? I didn't really know what that meant. I talked about, you know, colonialism, and earlier on, I remember talking about um, Puerto Rico as a colony and thinking that, well, it legally right? Um, here's a legal reason why it's a colony, but I didn't think about, say, Charlotte, North Carolina as being a colony. Um, right before I started the podcast, back in 2019, I had, I read Doc, uh, Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz's An Indigenous People's History of the U.S., which was incredibly insightful and eye-opening to me. But over the past two years, I've learned more about the relation between communist and anti-colonial struggles, and, and as well as how U.S. settler colonialism functions. And I want to name that over the two short years of this podcast, you know, I've deeply failed to even slightly comprehend the weight of U.S. colonialism, both here and abroad. And, and that's, again, that's a, a fifth um, failure and shortcoming, I think, of the first two years of Faith and Capital. Even though I've talked about colonialism and neocolonialism, I'm really just beginning to to study it more deeply and, and listen to the voices um, in the revolutionary analysis of indigenous uh, folks. So yeah, that is another major shortcoming. Uh, so to suggest some of the lessons I've learned, uh, I just wanted to focus on three. One is that Christianity and the church will not be changed without concrete transformation of conditions, okay? So, so the church across the world will not be changed until the material conditions of the church, and the, by that I mean the people who make up the church, right? The masses of people, um, until their material living conditions are transformed. So Christian communities, denominations, institutions, and organizations are deeply liberal 
in conservative especially in the centers of capitalism and imperialism. They are beholden to the material reproduction of capitalism, colonialism, and imperialism. So liberal groups talk about race and gender, but they are for capitalism, which will forever reproduce the conditions and structures of anti-blackness, anti-indigenous sovereignty, cis-heteropatriarchy, ableism, right, etc. So, so I... I think one of the lessons I'm taking is that we can't have hope in inclusion, all right? That, that, that's absolutely ridiculous. And we should re ruthlessly reveal its uh, liberalism's failures um, at accomplishing what it says it, it wants to accomplish for targeted groups and ruthlessly critique its insidious lies. But the main point, um, the main lesson that uh, I, I want to take from the first two years is that transformation of the church, right? Our church communities and the church across the world, Christianity as a whole, has to happen in relation through actual material and ideological struggles, right? Through organization, through real praxis and collective organizing. So if people are not being... Um, if people are not participating in, in real people's movements and being organized against landlords, bosses, cops, or, you know, larger systems um, uh, uh, of capitalism and imperialism, then they're not going to change their thinking. We're not going to change our theology, and Christianity will still be beholden to um, capitalism, anti-blackness, um, so on and so forth. So yeah, that's one of the first lessons I've learned. Another one is is again, I want to continue to think about my embedded revisionism, and I invite uh, y'all uh, to do that as well. How might we be kind of being co-opted, you know, these movements for socialism or, or the language around communism? How might our ideas and our assumptions and, and our even like our ways of being, how are they reflecting not genuine actual practice and commitment to building people's movements and actually trying to build for what's necessary, which is so, uh, revolution. How, how are we just kind of being co-opted ourselves into taking on this posture of thinking about capitalism, talking about socialism, but not actually trying to build for its actual historical destruction here, like in our communities, um, in our cities, in our nations? And, and I think that's something that I want to continue to, to learn or learn about for myself and wrestle with, and, and I invite uh, y'all to as well. And then the third and final lesson I wanted to throw out there was um, a struggle for communism is fundamentally a decolonizing struggle that will in part be led by indigenous nations organizing against present-day colonialism, neocolonialism, and imperialism. So you don't have this some kind of, you know, democratic socialism in the United States, right? Um, without the destruction of the United States, right? The, the United States can, cannot continue to exist um, because it is a settler colonial state. Uh, so, so I'm not just critiquing, like, you can't have socialism in one country without socialism everywhere. I'm also trying to say that the United States can't become a revolutionary community um, because it has to be destroyed. And so rather than trying to imagine, you know, the reforming of the United States, I think we have to understand it needs to be abolished, right? Its values, its, its projects, its intents, its um, actual material ways of existing and being in the world, its ways of relating to the indigenous nations, 
that continue to resist it. It's ways of, of, of being and relating to the rest of the world. And also it's ways of relating to ourselves um, as working class uh, folk, uh, many of us who are settlers. So, so yeah, I think that Christians who are particularly living in the U.S. Um, and, and are just now getting into socialism and communism, thinking about it and trying to, to practice it and, and, and uh, live it out, have to ground our, our, our communist struggles, our, our socialist struggles um, in decolonial struggles as well. You know, like socialism and communism is not just for one single nation. And we have to understand that the nation of the United States is built upon the genocide, um, the continued genocide of other nations. And so for, for socialism and communism truly to be had across the world, the U.S. must be abolished. It must be uh, destroyed itself. And so, yeah, I think just one of the, the lessons I'm taking away from these last two years is that we should be really, really weary of anyone who fails to name the fundamental um, uh, character, the material and structural character of, of U.S. settler colonialism um, and imperialism across the world. All right. Well, um, wrapping this up, I, I want to do a little bit of continuity and rupture. I want to I do a little bit of uh, thinking about some new goals for the podcast moving forward. Uh, one goal is that I want to invite Christians to think theologically, not just about the sins of capitalism, colonialism, and, and all the other related systems of exploitation and oppression, but also think theologically about the necessity of communist struggle first for socialism and then beyond socialism and, and toward communism. I think this is really important and um, I definitely want to center this kind of moving forward. Let, let's ground our fight um, spiritually and in our faith. I, I think what is necessary to end capitalism and to uh, pursue communism needs to come from a deep well of conviction and, and radical uh, spirit. And not not at all, you know, do people have to be Christian or even, you know, religious, of course not. But, but I do think that our our faith and our and our belief and our our spirituality can serve as a means of compelling us to transform the world and not simply accept it as it is. Um, another goal I wanted to do was uh, personally I want to learn more about MLM, right? Marxism, Leninism, Maoism, or, or really just like the Maoist tradition because it expands upon and critiques its predecessor, Marxism, Leninism. And so, yeah, that's a that's another thing that's definitely going to be coming up in the near future with the podcast. And that's a new goal I have um, as I continue to try and wrestle with my own understanding and learn from people who have gone before us and, and actually brought us through new insights through actual historical struggles. And then the third goal I wanted to do uh, moving forward Moving into our third year was basically I want to encourage folks to to take content production less seriously. Um, we we got to get off social media and into organizations. And so the you know the emphasis on participation is probably going to be a serious new um, priority for the podcast. I want to encourage you to to participate, to participate, to participate, and uh, join an organization. Uh, learn from one another, cr critique yourselves, critique yourself, and get off social media uh, because, you know, we could tweet all day, we could kind of read books by ourselves all day, 
you could have all the communist knowledge in the world, um, but you could lose your soul. And that's that's not what we're trying to do. We we want to we don't want to lose our soul. We we don't want to gain all of the knowledge of the world, uh, right? We don't want to just think Marxism or think communism. We have to actually apply it politically and historically. So that's another uh, main goal is I want to shift from focusing on just thinking about communism or thinking about Marxism all the time um, and, and actually encouraging folks to participate. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I wanted to do for this episode. Um, I wanted to name some original goals, initial assumptions, some successes, failures, and shortcomings, and and those new goals I had. And finally, uh, you know, in celebration of the first two years of Faith and Capital, I would greatly appreciate it if you would help me get to fifty patron supporters by March fourth. Uh, with literally single a single dollar a month, right? Which you can't even buy a candy bar anymore for a dollar in the U.S. With only a um, single dollar, you can support the pod. You can fund this work and all the time and energy that I will continue to put into it. Yeah, so, I mean, y'all know that I'm going to keep it real. You know, I'm going to continually be practicing self-critique. And my prayer is that, you know, this work will, although it will fail... You know, I'll do my best to be faithful to the liberation of the masses in the lived experiences of the world's most exploited and oppressed. So so please consider chipping in simply a single dollar um, at patreon.com slash faith in capital. So again, yeah, uh, the goal is 50 Patreon supporters by our two year anniversary on March 4th. And if you'd be so willing to contribute, that would be amazing. I'll link the Patreon in the show notes. And we've got some exciting interviews coming up. So I hope y'all will tune in and enjoy and we will talk soon.